I like to use illustrations at times. It helps us to remember things. And if somehow that point could be gotten across tonight, that you would remember that one thing, it would be a blessing. Uh, I was blessed just to hear the, the memorizing and the reciting of the Word of God. There's something special about that. Elijah there is an example of one who prayed with authority. He went to King Ahab and he said, Thus saith the Lord, It shall not rain according to my word. He said, not, he didn't say according to the Lord's word, he said, according to my word. And this is part of the point that I've been trying to get across to you in the first message. I'd like to begin by clarifying a little bit about the first message. As I looked at that again, I felt like I, I, I lifted up a very high standard to you. A mountain peak, you might say. And I'd like to just somehow build around that a little bit, give it some base, some foundation, that you can be affirmed in your heart of the truth of God's Word and of His desire for you to, that you might learn to pray as Jesus, as the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Uh, I want to say that, that what I shared earlier today is one of many aspects of prayer. We, and we have a weekend here on prayer, and all the teaching so far has been very good. And what I taught was only one aspect of prayer, in a sense. There are many other facets of prayer. There are... There are and in what I mentioned this morning was the importance of hearing and of mixing and believing and then of walking that out by faith, proclaiming it and walking it out. I also mentioned about the importance of hearing from God to have direction for our personal lives. And there's numerous ways that we can get direction for our personal lives. It's not just hearing from the Lord, hearing from a word. From the Lord, but it's also hearing from our authorities, our parents, our ministers, and also having the peace of God in our heart over a certain situation. I don't hear the voice of God in, in all my daily decisions that I need to make, but I do trust God that He will guide me either by circumstances opening doors here or closing doors here and guiding me day by day as I walk. And I can walk in the full confidence and assurance that God is with me as I walk with a clean and pure heart, as far as I know, walking in the light. And then as we walk in that kind of a light as believers, and our heart's desire is to glorify God, then I believe we can also enter into a realm of communion with the Father continually. It's not just that hour in prayer in the morning or whenever that time is, whether it's 15 minutes or 10 minutes or an hour. But it's a, it is a continual communion of the Spirit. That is the reality of the Christian today. I remember before I was saved, I was plowing with my horses. And God was working in my heart. Of course, I didn't realize that. And I began to think about God. And... I realized I could not continue to dwell on God. 
So as I was plowing, I decided I'm going to think about God for the next five minutes. And I purposed to do that. So, okay, here we go. I'm, I'm going down the furrow, plowing as I'm going, and I'm, I'm now thinking about God. I'm being a spiritual person. Much to my dismay, only a minute or so later, I, I realized I'm not thinking about God anymore. Oh, let me try that again. So I try it again, and I'm thinking, okay, now I'm going to think about God. Only to find myself another minute or two later, totally gone in my thought, not thinking about God. And it troubled me. Why can't I meditate on God at least for a little bit? There was just such a disconnect there. But when I got saved, something happened in my spirit. In the background of my being, there was this continual communion and fellowship with God. It was always there. Just just continued. That's what I'm talking about. That's communion with God. And it is by the Spirit. There are many other aspects of prayer. The New Testament prayer is what I'm focusing on tonight. Let your requests be known, it says. Giving thanks can be prayer. Praise is a part of prayer. Confession is often a part of real prayer, isn't it? Repentance and so forth. Making mention of others. Paul often asked people to pray for him, to to remember him in prayer, to remember him in his bonds, as bound with him. What does that mean? That means that I am to enter into prayer, into the spirit of prayer, pray, and while I'm praying for this man who's in prison, I'm to pray as though I'm there with him, bound with him in prison. Just a few pictures there. Then there's the prayer of one accord. In the book of Acts. Let's turn there. We believe in following the, the Bible examples in Acts chapter 4. When Peter and John had been, had healed the man, the lame man, and were called before the Sanhedrin there and were warned and threatened. And, uh, then there, and it says in verse 23, being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice. It, they came back to the church. They came back to their company. And they, they told them what the chief priests had said. And when they heard that, something happened here. They lifted up their voice. They, as a body, lifted up their voice with one accord and began to cry out to God. Now we believe in singing with one accord, don't we? But do we understand what it means to pray in one accord? In the, in the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room and with one accord, it means their hearts were all united together as one. And when they prayed here in one accord, the Lord moved mightily. This issue of unity is very, very important in prayer. A church that is walking in the blessing of unity there the blessing of God will be, and there the power of prayer will be also. Just just a thought for us. <clears throat> Other verses, as that Jesus said, if two or three shall agree as touching anything on the earth, it shall be done. Okay, here's two people, 
two or three, they come together and they pray in one accord. They, they, it shall be done to them. These are verses that Jesus gives us continually. Prayer simply is communion and fellowship with God. And sometimes we, we uh, in a weekend like this, you might have all this teaching on prayer and you think, wow, I can never attain to that. And that's why I appreciate what Brother Dale just said. That simple prayer of the publican. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And that man went down justified. God wants simple, childlike, childlike faith in us when we pray. So much that could be taught. The Spirit makes intercession for us in Romans chapter 8. Praying for us. For we know not how we ought to pray. But it makes utterings and groanings. And this, these are little glimpses of a life of prayer. These are little glimpses that God occasionally visits His people with. The men who, and women who enter into prayer to where they're, they actually come to a place where there's a groaning within. There's, there's no words anymore. It's just groanings in the Spirit. I don't understand all those things, but that's what the Bible's saying. Praying in the Spirit. Am I praying in my, in the Spirit or am I praying with my mind? But we should not be afraid to pray. We should not think, well, okay, if I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm be praying in the mind, I shouldn't pray. No, that's not the point. But rather exercise yourself in prayer. Exercise yourself to be, to enter into the Spirit. Because the Spirit of Christ within you wants to pray through you. The Spirit knows what to pray for. And if you can remember Believe it, believing that you are one in the Spirit, and by that enter into prayer according to God's will, according to His Word. So much that could be said there. Let's turn now to uh, Ephesians for a New Testament prayer. I want to look at this. There's something, the, one of the burdens on my heart is that we could come to the place to where we could catch a vision of true New Testament praying. And there is such a difference in how we pray. I know in times of when, when we are low in our spiritual fervor and fire, we'll go to pray and our prayers are somewhat like Oh God, please help me. This struggle I'm having. Please forgive me, Lord. You know, and we go on and on down that road. Maybe we, maybe we'll, we'll go through that. Then we'll begin to pray for others and Lord, please help this brother and so forth. And, and there's room for all that. And one thing I heard said one time, and this is, this can be a blessing to you. God can interpret my prayers. I don't have to say the words perfectly. I don't have to say it just right. But God will interpret my prayers. He will hear what my heart is saying. And this is where the challenge is for us to enter in to the Spirit and to pray in the heart. Let's look at this Paul's prayer again in Ephesians chapter 1. 
Verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And what is he praying for them? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. A revelation in the knowledge of him. And what else? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Oh, that our eyes be open to something. And what is that? That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, to usward who mix it according to the working of his mighty power. And then he gives an illustration, then he tells us what his mighty power is talking about. He's one, he's praying that these things would become a reality in our hearts, in the hearts of the Ephesians. And these are things that we can pray. This is what I call positive, full assurance praying. Now, He's talking about his mighty power. And what is that mighty power? What is the the climax of his mighty power? Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He's simply praying that our eyes would be enlightened, that we might know what is the hope of his of our of, the, of, of his calling, and the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power to us word. The, the He doesn't just pray that we would understand the power of God. He uses words that that expand it almost beyond our capability of understanding what God really wants us to know and understand. What is that thing that he wants us to understand? What is this all saying? And here is where I believe it's so important for us as believers to enter in by faith. I have an example up here. I, I had a table brought up here with all these pots and pans. And I know you're wondering what that's all about. Here's the picture. Christ Jesus came as the Son of God, became flesh, veiled in flesh, lived his life on the earth, a sinless life, Then he went to the cross and there he shed his blood and gave his life a ransom for many, for us, that we might become the children of God, that we might be delivered. It says they shall call his name Jesus. Why? He shall save his people from their sins. There's a real cheap gospel out there that says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you can escape hell. 
I'd like to, I believe that if you came to Christ to escape hell, that that's a somewhat of a shallow conversion. But, but if you came to Christ that you might find deliverance from sin, It's a different picture. And what I want to say here is that Christ died, suffered, bled, and died for a lot more than just an escape from hell. Now, the table, and I got this up here because I want you to imagine that this would just be full. Every pot and pan here would be full of some very, very delicious food. Food that is good for you. I'm not talking about desserts and ice cream. The kind of food, the kind of bread, the bread of heaven. And each one is a very different thing here. And when you go to the smorgasbord to eat, what do you do? This is the way I see that a lot of Christians live their Christian life. They go to the table and... They take, maybe I say, the cup of salvation. This, all of this is what Christ has paid and bought, paid, bought and paid for. And we'll give it some names, but many of us go to the table and we take the cup of salvation and we think we have it. And we fail to press on to higher ground, to the, to the depths, to the heights, to the realities of the full gospel, the fullness of Christ, the all in all that Colossians talks about. Ye are complete in Him. I marked in my Bible the word all and always in Colossians. It's just dotted with blue. Paul is trying to help us to understand that everything that Christ bought and paid for can be mine. Now, how did you come to become a, how did you take the cup of salvation? It was by faith. Right? Everything on the table, everything that Christ bought and paid for, is, a, is attained or appropriated by faith. It's all there. How much am I taking? I take a little loaf of bread and it sustains me. And I believe in the sustaining power of God. But I do also know that God wants His children to grow and to walk closely and to understand, to know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glory, of His inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of His power. This is so big. How much am I appropriating? Now, let's name some of these things. Tell me, what are some of the things that Christ bought and paid for? By His death, by His blood. And if those things have been bought and paid for, the bank account is there we hear at times, you just go and draw it out. Okay? But it takes faith. And this is where we need to continue to walk by faith in all these areas. What are some of the things that you understand that Christ has bought and paid for, made available for you? What are they? 
Add to your faith patience. Okay. Joy. Okay. The fruits of the Spirit. Okay. Let's say the fruits of the Spirit. Righteousness. Has he, has he paid for righteousness for you? The righteousness of Christ is mine. And how does it become mine? By faith. Okay? Peace and joy. Yes. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Uh, how many, how many of you are seated there? Let me see your hands. Okay. Sanctification or holiness, like 1 Corinthians 6 says, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, ye are justified. So the picture we're getting here is that if, if this is salvation, you can name each one of these holiness, uh, forgiveness is there, we have forgiveness through his blood, right? We have justification by faith, sanctification by faith, Holiness unto the Lord. We have all these different things. The, the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. All those things are there and they all have been bought and paid for. And I believe that the reason Christians today are so prayerless is because they're not appropriating all that Christ has bought and paid for. I think of Romans 6. For ye are dead, and your life is hid in Christ with God. That's, that's Colossians. But Romans 6 says uh, that we are dead in Him. Let me find that. This is an important thing that uh, in verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse 11. Likewise reckon or appropriate the reality of the death of Christ for yourself. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. I've recently been so overjoyed and blessed with this thought. You know how that Satan's biggest gun is death? Hmm? His biggest gun is death. Like this pastor in Romania... At gunpoint was told to repent of his sin or to 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 uh, recant, and he just looked at that soldier and he said, he "said Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying." Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, okay, so here we have Christ died that we also might die to sin. I want you to think about this one. But it says, but that's not the end of that verse. It also says, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So many times we as Christians 
defeated Christians, may I say, try to claim the first part of this verse. No, I'm dead. I'm dead to that sin. No, I'm dead. But this, but you know, it's still there. It, it's still, still begging for my attention. Are you with me? You struggling with some sin? You know, no, no, I'm dead. Well, this is, let's just say that this is what this holds. It's there for me. It's a reality that I can actually, by faith, enter in. By faith, partake in that and make it to be a reality in my life. I can be dead. Now, let's think about that big gun that Satan used again, which is death. The last enemy is death. Satan held the people by the fear of death. Well, guess what? I think of it this way. In, in, uh, we, we were out of Gettysburg one time and looked at the battlefields there. And they talked about how it was the, the, uh, the goal of the soldiers was to take, overtake that cannon out there, pick those men off, overtake the cannon, which was the big gun, turn that thing around, and use it against the enemy. Use it against them. You take their big gun, turn it around, and use it against them. Now, that's what Satan, that's what Jesus did. Jesus took the biggest gun Satan had, which was death. And now, that gun is one of my greatest strengths. Think of it this way. Through the death of Christ, I can become dead to sin. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. By faith, I enter into the death of Christ and I become dead to sin. Ooh. Dead men don't sin. But if there's more to it than that, that's the first part of the verse. The second part is, Life. Life. And when I partake of the death of Christ, and I, I take that by faith, I appropriate it into my life. And I, I take the life of Christ by faith, and I appropriate that in my life. Then I'm alive in Christ Jesus. Now, how much of the table have you taken part of? It's all there. Justification is there. I believe most of you have taken part of that one, right? I am justified. The Bible says, I am justified by faith. Right? And Corinthians says in, in chapter 6, Ye are washed. Yes, I'm washed. I know that. Ye are sanctified. No, I don't think so. Hmm? Then he says, you are justified. Those three things. Yeah, I know I'm justified, but sanctified, uh. But you see, Christ has bought and paid for it. How am I going to partake? How can I take that which is a spiritual invisible, eternal principle, which is only attainable by faith, and make it a part of my life. 
It's up to me. When I look at God's word, when it says what it does, it says you are dead. It says I'm alive. What am I doing with that? Am I taking that and mixing it? Believing it. And then begin to walk it out as though it were true. Confess it to be so and begin to walk it out because that's the way it comes to pass. That's a key. Do you hear me? So I I hear God's word. I see what it says. It's not a reality in my life yet. But I know it's true. But I'm wrestling with sin. I'm wrestling with the world. Immorality. Why can't I overcome? You know what Jesus would say? According to your faith, so be it. Do you know what Peter did when they had fished all night and Jesus came and said, cast your nets on the other side. Peter's not dumb. He knows it's hard work fishing with nets. They had just pulled him in, tired. And Jesus said, cast them on the other side. Do you know what Peter said? Lord, we fished all night. Nevertheless, at thy word. And he did something with God's word there, with the words of the Lord. And he put the net down and they caught fish. So this is the principle. This, I believe, is needful for effectual, fervent praying. Is to understand my position in, with God. To understand where I stand. To, to realize the power that God wants to invest in and through me. To realize that He wants to work through me. So many people, so many folks have prayed and said, Lord, I need more of the Holy Ghost. And we do need more of the Holy Ghost and we're taught to pray for that. But God, I believe, is wanting more of me. Should I maybe rather be praying, Lord, make me more usable. Let's look now at John chapter 4. Prayer in the German, John chapter 4. Here it talks about this woman that Jesus met at the well. He said those very powerful words in John 4 where he said that... uh, Woman, the hour, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And that word worship in German means pray. I don't know what the Spanish says. Worship. And this is part of prayer. Worship is part of prayer. But as I look, growing up, this meant praying. And this is, this was quoted almost every time before we would kneel to pray in the church where I grew up. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, 
And now is, he's saying, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is one of the requirements to worship, to fellowship, is you must be in the spirit and in truth. I was uh, on a trip through the Middle East two years ago, and I was somewhat appalled by the many Catholic church buildings that were put on the holy sites at the cave where Jesus supposedly was born, a big, expensive, massive Catholic building, the same at, you know, Pilate's Hall and all the other places, and every, at Gethsemane, they, they, they built these huge, expensive buildings so that the people can go there to worship. And we also visited numerous mosques where the Muslims have their holy places in uh, Jerusalem, in uh, Damascus, in Samaria, in in, uh, Syria. At the place that they believe Abraham was born or lived in a cave, there they have a huge mosque. And all these places, these huge buildings where the people of that religion go there because there's a special seat. They, they believe in a special blessing to pray there. I was so grateful for these verses in John as I began to realize afresh and new. Jesus said this. No, because this Samaritan woman, she was saying, you, uh, the, the Jews believe in worshiping in Jerusalem, but we worship here in this mountain. And... uh I'm not sure where the right place is to worship. It was so, it was so freeing to my spirit to realize I don't need to go to a certain place to pray. I don't need to go to that place to pray. No. What did Jesus say? God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship in truth and in the Spirit. Not in this mountain, neither in Jerusalem, but this way. That has been a blessing to me. The Old Testament has the law which says, Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Right? I'd like to lift up a high a standard, a fresh and new for you. Maybe you've never looked at this way. Praying according to the New Testament is a positive, full assurance prayer. Um, I met Brother Dale, just coming out of the restroom just before the service. Brother Dale said, may God bless you as you preach tonight. And I said to Brother Dale, he shall. What was your response? I said, I don't hear that very often. He said, I don't hear that very often. 
Now, the Old Testament says, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. You know, the New Testament also says those same words, but with a different attitude, a different heart, a different spirit, a different outlook. Now listen carefully. The New Testament says, Thou shalt. It has a ring of promise. It has a ring of, I I shall do that. I will do it. I'm able to do this. He enables me. I shall. When it comes to sin, I can say, I shall not. You see the difference? Now, when we look at the prayers in the New Testament, look, we looked at Paul's prayer in Ephesians, full of faith and assurance, uh, full of God's grace, full of vision and purpose. And I believe this is how God wants us to pray. Pray according to His Word. Taking His Word. Oh, what does it say? The violent take the kingdom by force. They have a, a positive approach to life. Now I think, I see the difference in, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. This is, uh, the prayer of Zacharias and the prayer of Mary. And I want you to see what happens here when someone appropriates rightly the grace of God and the power of God and what happens? Now, this is not necessarily just a prayer, but this is a response to a revelation in the heart. I want you to see this. In Luke chapter 2, uh, when, when Mary went to see Elizabeth, after she had been, had met the angel. Now where am I at here? It's in chapter 1. Yes. Verse 42, we have Elizabeth speaking. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Do you see the positiveness that she was expressing? It, this is, it, it, it was a prophetic expression. Now let's look at what Mary said in her reply. Here's two women who just have met with the Lord, and there's a fullness of grace flowing out of their lives, there's a fullness of life flowing out of their lives. This is the expression of their faith to God. Look at it. It's not just, oh Lord, please bless me today. No. Far from it. These are New Testament prayers. What did, what did Mary say? My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. It has become personal for her. Personal she has, she's appropriated. She's taken a hold of what God has done in her life and she's exclaiming and proclaiming it. For he hath regarded the lowest state of, of his handmaidens. 
For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. His mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things. The rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, to his seed forever. Powerful. Full of faith. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, let us draw near with a true heart in what? Full assurance of faith. This is what we're, this is the way that we should come to God in prayer. Full assurance of faith. I'm still learning how to appropriate these things myself. I have not arrived. But I see, I see a principle. I see God's word and I'm believing. I'm believing. And as I believe, and as I confess, and as I begin to walk it out, it becomes reality. And I commune. With God. Look at what Zacharias said. In the same chapter. 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost. And prophesied saying. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he hath visited. And redeemed his people. Had he. Redemption hadn't been wrought out yet had it. No. Faith. Like Abraham. God said to Abraham. I have made you. A father of many nations. Abraham didn't have any children yet. But God said, I've made you a father of many nations. And faith speaks those things which are not as though they were. God calls those things which are not as though they were. And this is how faith is exercised. And you and I in prayer need to learn how to call those things which are not as though they were. This is, this is the exercise I'm talking about. This is the exercise of faith. This is work. This is labor. This is what Paul said to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. It is a fight. It is a labor. Labor with patience. Labor with perseverance. Let's go with Zechariah. He has visited and hath redeemed his people, hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake, and look at the prayer, that he's using the word of God, he's going back to the Old Testament, he's, he's, he's overflowing with the word of God, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. And what was it that has been said? What did the prophets say? That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to his father, our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Can you claim this verse for yourself? 
Can I claim that verse myself? Yes. I have been delivered out of the hand of the enemy that I might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Yes, Lord, by faith, I receive that, that you did deliver me out of the hand of all my enemies, that I might serve you without fear, that I might walk in holiness, that I might walk in righteousness before you all the days of my life. This is my inheritance. This is my children. This is my child of God rights. This is what Christ came to do for me. This is what Christ bought and paid for, that I might be able by the grace of God to walk this way. I. Why then do I struggle with sin? If all this is for me, why then do I struggle with sin? Brothers and sisters, I believe you might look at me and say, well, you've been a Christian for 23 years. I just wish I'd be that old in the Lord so that I could walk that way. No. This is as available to everyone that believeth as it is to me. God is no respecter of persons. Be it according to your faith. That's what Jesus would say to each one of us. I don't know what time I'm supposed to be done here. I forgot what time I started. Let me just give two more, two examples. Something that was, I experienced personally. I don't want to bore you. Back to the mustard seed and the removing of mountains. And this is where faith comes in. Again, I was facing a, a certain situation, a certain relationship difficulty. I was sharing this with another fellow minister. And he, and I've been sharing these principles with that fellow minister. And so he said to me, Brother Emmanuel, why don't you use these same principles in this situation towards this relationship that you're in a difficult time with this brother and apply these principles in this situation here? I said, thank you, brother. Let me pray. Let me seek God. And I knew what he said was right. So, I purposed in my heart to apply the principle of faith. Here is this mountain standing right in front of me. Many times those mountains are illusions that Satan puts there. One of the principles that I have learned is that I, by God's grace, am able to see Christ in my brother, even though he may have made some mistakes 
even if he may be in sin, am I still able to see Christ in him and to believe that the Christ in him is where he really wants to live? And, I, and, and I'm able to look at him and see Christ. And what, if my heart is pure towards my brother, I'll be able to see Christ. I'll be able to build on the Christ in him. I will notice the Christ in him. I will not notice the wrongs. I'll notice the pure things in him. And as I, I, I began, I went into a meeting with these principles on my heart. And I walked away from that meeting. And that mountain was totally gone. But there's some principles there we need to look at. Titus, Paul says to Titus, unto the pure, all things are pure. But to him that believes not, to the unbelieving, and undefiled, is nothing pure. But even that, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Is your heart pure? Are you pure? Or are you defiled? Here's what happens. If my heart is defiled and I'm unbelieving, I'm not believing, I'm not walking the reality of all that is available to me, but I'm walking unbelief and sin and I'm not pure. I will look through the glasses of that impurity at my brother. If what I notice in my brother is all his faults, all the things he does wrong. It's simply, if that's what I'm noticing, it is simply because I'm looking through the impurity of my own life at my brother. Jesus verifies this when he says, pull first that beam out of your own eye, the big one, then thou shalt see to pull the moat out of the brother's eye. The reason I'm judgmental of my brother is because I have sin in my heart. But if my heart is pure and I'm appropriating God's grace, then when I see my brother, what will I see? I will see Christ. I will see the purity of Christ in him. And I, and I can believe God that the Spirit of God will work grace in his life even as I understand that God works grace in my life when I have a need. Amen? Removing that mountain. One more. Several weeks ago, I was facing a lot of difficulties in my life. I have to say that since last November, God has been pouring His grace into my life in such a way that I haven't experienced for a long time. It's just a, the strength of Christ flowing through me. I know that's what it is. It's not that I'm doing some great thing. No, it's I'm appropriating these realities. I am believing the word of God for my own life. 
I'm, I am exercising these truths and they are liberating me. They are setting me free. And you know what? I found that if my heart is pure and free, I am able to assimilate much more from the Word of God, much more when the Word is preached. And you might sit here today, if you're not pure, your life is full of sin, you will not be able to assimilate, you will not be able to get a hold of and hold on to like you would if your heart were clean and pure and free. About six weeks ago, it just seemed like a lot of difficulties came from every which way and just hit me. And I remember the temptations of the enemy to discouragement. Well, I believe discouragement is sin. But I walked over, in, in, in the spirit, I walked to the edge of that valley, that, and I looked down into that valley of discouragement. And right there I had to make a choice. But because I understand these principles, I said, I said, I lifted up my voice and I said, I shall not go that way. And I turned my back and I walked away from that precipice of discouragement. No, Satan, I'm not going that way. And as I walked, turned and walked away from that, by faith, and I looked back, it was gone. That temptation to discouragement was gone. And so I say these things so that somehow you would take courage. Somehow you would begin to assimilate the truths of God's Word for you personally. Cleansing, purifying, pure in heart. And begin to walk by faith. Be it according to your faith. According to your faith, so be it. How much do you want? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Your word says, Father, in Romans... Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Yes, Father, you get all the glory. We give you the glory, Father. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. Your word is quick and it's powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. We love your word. And you said that if we abide in you and your word abide in us, we shall ask what we will and you would give it to us. Father, help us to understand all that you have bought and paid for. Redemption, salvation, justification, ministry, the, uh, the work of 
redeeming others, taking that big gun by faith from the enemy and turning it around and using it against the enemy. Through the death of Christ, we die to sin. Through His resurrection, we live in new life. Lord, give us a vision, a revelation in our hearts of these truths so that I, that each one of us may be able to fill, fulfill the calling that you have on our hearts, on our lives. Father, I don't want to come short of all that you have for me. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for these gifts. Thank you for the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for all the gifts that Christ gave when he ascended on high and gave gifts to men. Help us, Lord, to realize, take by faith, these truths. Hide them in our heart. Mix them with faith. Begin to walk them out. Begin to claim them, that which is not as though it were. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.